A little boy and his sister were riding on a, on a rocking horse together when the boy said, if one of us would just get off this horse, there would be more room for me. That attitude is our root problem, our root dilemma, self-centeredness. It alienates us from our maker. It fuels jealousy and strife among our fellow man. In today's passage, Jesus offers us the antidote for this mortal disease. So we pick it up in chapter 10 and verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, <laughs> you know, our, when we think of Jesus, especially at Christmas time, we don't think of th- this Jesus, right? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When he was born, the angels proclaimed, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. But this is a personal peace and a corporate peace that we enjoy one with another if we've received the Prince of Peace. Thus having our sins cleansed and our guilt and shame removed. But when someone receives Christ and are adopted into his forever family, unsaved members of our earthly family often resent them. They resent us. Because this call to a radical commitment to Jesus is a message of peace that divides. It's a message of peace that divides. At one of our Northwest um, conferences, pastor's conferences, uh, I remember a man was sharing about this church plant uh, he'd planted a Calvary Chapel in Newcastle, not Washington, but England. And uh, during one of the outreaches, you know, a bunch of young people started getting saved, and their families panicked, and they they uh, they put pressure on the the city to squelch these outreaches. And the chief of police there. Uh, limited the kinds of the, the number of outreaches, the kind of outreaches that they could do, the Calvary Chapel Church. But he, he didn't stop there. He had a friend in Florida who lived in Florida who was also a chief of police in the city where he resided. So he contacted his friend and said, you know, can you tell me about this church from America called Calvary Chapel? And the guy said, it's the best thing going said, drug addicts, their lives are being transformed, marriages are being saved, and uh, etc. And, and so what happened was the chief of police opened the door for Calvary Chapel to have outreaches there, which is wonderful. But there still remained a division within many families because now these youth are red hot. 
for the Lord. And it just disrupts that close communion with people who choose otherwise, who aren't on the same page. The world is resistant to the Lord, hostile even towards God. The question Jesus is asking us today, are we willing to bear the reproach of those we are closest to here on earth for his sake? And mind you, love within the family, that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. But if ever it becomes the highest thing, that's idolatry. Right? We understand that. Anything, any love, any earthly affection set above God, that's idolatry. I remember personally, you know, I grew up uh, in a religious system. I, I, I had catechism. I went to a parochial school through the sixth grade. Uh, but in my home, the name of God was never mentioned, ever. We never prayed even before a meal. So when I hit seventh grade and left that system, I left God behind. So now I'm a young adult and I'm living in the Northwest. My family's living in Southern California for the most part. Uh, and I'm, and, I'm, and I've, I've come to the Lord um, but I'm, but I'm wrestling with this idea of giving him first place because I knew it would cost me something within my home. They would tolerate a socially, a socially acceptable level of devotion, but if I came out, all out on the Lord's side, then I've drunk the Kool-Aid, I've gone too far, and there would be resistance within my family, and that paralyzed me. For three years, I lived what I call a Corinthian Christian kind of life. I, I just was this babe in Christ. I love the idea of God saving me from my sins. The milk of the word was wonderful, but the meat of discipleship, I resisted that. But I was empty. I was frustrating. The Corinthians, they, they struggled with envy and strife and Immaturity. They were going to be perennially immature unless they dealt with this self-denial. I instinctively knew that if I was ever really to know God, like Chrissy said, not just know about Jesus, but really come into that personal life-transforming relationship with Him, I was going to have to Give him first place. And I remember lying in bed that night wrestling with this. I love my family. Their, their allegiance, their affection, it means everything to me. But I know it will, uh, you know, a meaningful depth of relationship with God would always be outside of my reach if I let that relationship trump my devotion to God. And so, in fear and trembling, as best I knew how, I just offered my body, a lion in bed, offered up my body 
as a living sacrifice to God. And the next thing I knew, I was filled with this indescribable peace and joy. I literally felt like I was going to levitate out of bed. And I, I finally, and I found out Charles Finney had a similar experience when, when he came to the Lord where we had to just say, stop, lest I perish. It just the glory was so overwhelming and wonderful. You know, I'd been three years just pent up, and finally it's just like, I'm yours, Lord. I'll do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want. I'll marry whoever you want. You know, that was a big thing also. I thought if I really came out, you know, I'd end up, you know, marrying the proverbial librarian. And Nikita, no, no slant. She's the librarian in the public school system. But, you know, the bun on the head, you know, and the, you know, just, just thought, ah. I don't know if God has the same taste in women that I have. And, and that was a stumbling bob, just being honest. But in that night, I said, it, nothing else matters. Show me your glory. It's kind of a prayer of Moses, right? And he did. And, I, and after a while, I just had to say, enough, enough. The same is true today for anyone here that, that is wrestling with your, in your rapport with God, are you holding something back? We're not going to ask you to drink Kool-Aid here. You know, this... But, you know, the thing about the Jesus movement that JC was talking about, and if you've seen the film Jesus Revolution, they were called Jesus Freaks. Right? Um, because they were all in. I mean, really think about it. Is there any other way to have a relationship with the living God, the creator of the universe? The only place he fits is first place. No other place makes sense. For a few years after this Jesus revolution in my life, my family... Um, they, 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 they weren't hostile toward me at all or malicious, but they jokingly called me the black sheep of the family. Because, you know, I, I was pursuing a level of spirituality that was not socially acceptable. And that was fine. I'd hear them say that and laugh and... Uh, I've tried to show them that I love them. And they've learned to tolerate me. Sometimes they even ask me at our family reunions to say grace before a meal. But there exists a subtle dissonance between us because of Christ. Unless you and I are willing to live with that division, that tension, not only are we not worthy the sacrificial love of Christ here through this act of idolatry, that's what it is. Let's call it what it is. 
putting anything, person, place, or thing, or affection above Christ. Not only are we not worthy of his sacrificial love, but we're really not loving our family as best we can. Because we're shrinking back from sharing with them the way of life, abundant life. G.K. Chesterton said this about the rigors of a consecrated life. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. Let me say that out loud again. It makes me sound really smart. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. That was kind of the what the Corinthians were doing. Paul was asking too much. Let's just have our love feasts and just, you know. Yeah, I'm resentful of this brother and that sister and all, and I don't ever seem to really have much power over sin, but we're having a good time. They weren't ready to try what was difficult, and that is really giving Jesus first place. Don't let the reproach of others, especially loved ones, keep you from experiencing all that God has for his faithful messengers. Now we come to the admonition that Jesus emphasized more than any other. One that will set us free from the fear of rejection. The lust for the approval of others. Verse 38. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. You know, it talks about Thomas Jefferson's Bible had a lot of holes in it because everything he didn't like he cut out of the Bible I'm sure this verse, these verses are missing the people of Galilee where Jesus spoke these words the upper region there in Israel surrounding the, the sea of Galilee, they knew what a cross was when the Roman general Varus crushed the revolt of Judas of Galilee in 4 B.C. He crucified 2,000 people, 2,000 crucifixes, and lined the roads of Galilee with them. They knew what a cross represented. Part of the ritual involved the condemned man carrying his cross to that place of execution. When Jesus called his followers to take up their cross, they knew he was requiring them to die to themselves. You know that? You don't hear that idea propagated in America today. The whole idea of denying self is antithetical to a culture steeped in the pursuit of self-gratification, right? That's the end goal, self-actualization. Follow your heart, 
Anyone that, that tries to keep you from following your heart, they're bad people. And we just have to reject them. Love is love, right? Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, mockingly called sexual restraint the cruel morality of self-denial and sin. A.W. Tozer writes, the self-sins are self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. They well too deep within us and are too much a part of our natures to come to our attention till the light of God is focused upon them. Thank God for the light of God. It has a purifying power in it. Jesus is focusing upon those things this morning, the self-life in his warning because they could never know real life without it. If you're trying to hold on to your life, that is, nurture your base nature, the flesh, it's called, it's a losing proposition because it's never satisfied. Always lusts for more. So you're going to lose your life that way. The self-centered person also loses their wife life inevitably in that they remain eternally separated from God. It's eternal death. That's the, the end result of denying Christ. The one who has lost their life for Christ's sake, however, the one who has offered up their body a living sacrifice, they're going to find it, Jesus said. In other words, when we relinquish the throne of our heart to our Creator and our Redeemer, we experience that abundant life that He said He came to give us. He says, that's why I'm here, is that you will know this abundance. Peace, surpassing all comprehension, it is referred to. Joy, inexpressible and full of glory. And he talks about life. He's not talking about just physical life. He's talking about the spiritual life of the hidden person. Those who enjoy this newfound comfort and strength can rest knowing that he is able to keep what we've entrusted to him. You know that, right? When we offer up our body a living sacrifice, he's able to keep what we are we've entrusted to him. That is the, the totality of our being. No one can snatch us out of his hand, he says in John 10, 28. If our trust is in Jesus and the life that we find in him, he shall be able to keep securely always. So in this sense, finders truly are keepers in the kingdom of God. I want to conclude with some more real good news. Verse 40. He who receives you 
talking about the, the disciples, the, the, the faithful witnesses, followers of Christ. And he, uh, he who receives, excuse me, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. It's not just the prophet that receives a prophet's reward, it's the one that receives him. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple, that's a follower of Christ, gives to one of these little ones, these disciples, even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, they shall not lose their reward. Even though God's messenger, God's disciple, those who bear witness of Christ will meet resistance in this world, even hostility. Not everyone is going to reject our message. Our labor shall not be in vain. There will be those who receive us and our message, and in so doing, Jesus is guaranteeing they're they're receiving him. And they're receiving the Father, verse 40, again. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. More than that, the one who receives God's messenger encourages and comforts them. In other words, even with something as seemingly insignificant as a cup of cold water, that person shall share in that messenger's reward. This should really bless those of you that have the the gift of encouragement or hospitality. Earlier this week, Diane Funai, she's she's here today. We were going to Echo Glen afterwards. And please, I forgot to mention, please pray for the ministry there at Echo Glen today. Second Sunday of each month, we're out there ministering to the youth. Uh, my pastor friend in Tacoma, uh, who's done some hard time, uh, is going to come. He's a pastor now, obviously. God gave him a great, uh, transformed his life in a powerful way. He's going to share his testimony at our chapel service. He's going to teach today, Brian. Uh, and Diane's a part of that group uh, that goes out there. But but uh, she's got the gift of encouragement, even today. I mean, she hadn't even barely gotten into the sanctuary, and she's over, and she's just, just pouring out words of affirmation. And, and, but, but earlier this week, she sent me this message. She says, you and Kim caused God to roar with pure joy and laughter. You are the work of his hands, and he delights in you. You want to know what a cup of cold water sounds like? That's, that's like a barrel. <laughs> right before COVID hit, she met me in the hallway. I, I don't know if you remember this. It's right upstairs by the, by the library. It was before church. And, and she said, God gave me a message for you, but I have to demonstrate it. I said, okay. <laughs> and it reminds me of Agabus in Acts 20, 21. Where, where he takes Paul's 
belt, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, and he ties Paul up and says, you know, this is what's waiting for you at Jerusalem. <laughs> well, anyway, she says, she says, you have to walk in a straight line and keep walking no matter what. So I started walking, and she violently was pushing me from the side. And I had to come back in. She says, keep walking. She said, hard things are going to come. You're going to be shaken. But you need to keep loving my sheep and keep teaching them the whole counsel of God. Do you remember this? There. And then COVID hit. And the whole world began to convulse. But the church in particular was threatened. Many churches, the doors have closed and not opened, not reopened. Many ministers have left the ministry. But I remember those words, and I drink, I, I drink it down, the full thing. Over these last several years, I've, I've remembered that, and it refreshed me. So thank you, Diane. I say this not to garner your attaboys. Please don't come up to me afterwards and, and, and try to affirm me. I get plenty of affirmation, but I would like you to consider giving some cool water in word and deed to the many unsung heroes at Calvary Chapel East Side, the people that I meet with before service that, that minister to the children. They can't be in here. They, they listen to the message later. So we, we commend you guys. They're all part of this process in bringing you the message of God's redeeming love. Behind all of those who serve here, the ushers, the greeters, the administrators, the AV crew, those in hospitality, uh, the, the, the teachers, the technicians, yeah, all, the worship team, behind all of them, there's not only the smile of God that fuels them, but the love and support of others, which is vital to the success of God's message going out. You know, our words, James talks about the tongue, it's, it's like uh, it can start forest fires. They can either tear down or they can build up. I hope that we might be a church of people that constantly are speaking words of love and affirmation sincerely from the heart, building up one another. And especially those that you see serving. Yeah, all these on the, on the platform here from the Awana program, you know, pouring your heart out for children, um, it's a bit of a thankless job. Because they're young. They, they don't even know how to say thank you, oftentimes. So let's remember to thank them and encourage them in the work that they do. The Lord says that those friends of the messenger, 
friends of the ministers and servants, whether the messenger is the mouth or the hands and feet in the body of Christ, that friend, the friend of that person, the one that encourages that person is going to share in their reward. They share in the reward of that faithful friend. All you have to do is encourage them with a word, show of kindness. And then all the good that they're doing, you share, that's credited to your account. That's such a fantastic, amazing investment. Timeless investment. And what is the reward? What is this reward that Jesus is talking about? A special endowment of God's favor. A special endowment of God's favor. His peace and joy here and now. Today. And his well done in the hereafter. When we see him face to face. Where there are pleasures, it says, at his right hand forevermore. A special endowment of God's favor rests on those who bring a cup of cool water to his servants, his disciples. So let us bravely embrace this antidote for the deadly disease of self-centeredness. Let us pick up this cross that Jesus speaks of by the grace of God and follow him. He wouldn't call us to do it if he didn't in the very same moment enable us to do it. The story is told of Martin Luther one day answering a knock at his door. Does Dr. Martin Luther live here? The man asked. No, Luther answered. He died. Christ lives here now. The great attitude. Let us lose our life for his sake that we might truly find it and keep it. A life that is abundant a life that is secure and safe with Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, these words, I consider the meat of your word. The milk of your word goes down so easy. It's just the fact that you died and rose again on our behalf. We're going to heaven. You've given us your Holy Spirit as a down payment. Oh, that is refreshing every day, and we need to remember that. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. But you don't want to leave us as infants, Lord. We need to, to also take in the meat of your word. That we grow strong in our faith. And be used by you to bring you glory. So we ask, show us your glory. Enable us right now, as many as are willing, to offer up our bodies a living sacrifice. 
to give you first place. And I invite anyone and everyone in the room and online to pray with me. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. Just pray with me. You can say in the quiet of your heart, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. The just for the unjust, in order that you bring me to God. Thank you for doing that. I accept that. Wonderful provision. But also, Lord, we pray that you would become first place, our greatest desire to follow you, our greatest ambition in this life. We know that this life is like a vapor, James says, and soon it will be passed. Only what we do for you is going to last. We want to be part of building your kingdom in the earth today. So, so Lord, receive from us today this, this humble offering. Our body, the totality of our being, we offer up to you. Use us for your glory, Lord. Be careful to give you all, all the credit, any good thing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.